the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I am not my own. I give up control. You can take me. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, a story, but much more than a story, much more than entertainment. This program is a daily guide for your journey from death to life, from this world 
to the world that is to come. You know, I've been crying out to the Lord. I've been in prayer. I've been talking with friends. I've been watching what's happening in our culture. Our culture has been co-opted. It's been taken over by a very wicked agenda. I checked the news last night. There was an article from Zero Hedge. I don't know if you're acquainted with Zero Hedge, but it's a very fine news source. And they're talking about a wire that has been released. I'd like to read a portion of this. George Orwell was right. He was just 30 years early. In its April cover story, Wired, which is also an excellent news source, has an exclusive report on NSA's Utah Data Center, which is a must-read for anyone who believes any privacy is still a possibility in the United States. A project of immense secrecy. It is the final piece in a complex puzzle assembled over the past decade. Its purpose, to intercept, decipher, analyze, and store vast swaths of the world's communications as they zap down from satellites and zip through the underground and undersea cables of international foreign and domestic networks. Flowing through its servers and routers and stored in near-bottomless databases will be all forms of communication, including the complete contents of private emails, cell phones, calls, Google searches, as well as all sorts of personal data trails, parking receipts, travel itineraries, bookstore purchases, and other digital pocket litter. The heavily fortified $2 billion center should be up and running in September 2013. In other words, in just over one year, virtually anything one communicates through any traceable medium or any record of one's existence in the electronic medium, which these days is everything, will unofficially be the property of the U.S. government to deal with as it sees fit. The code name for this project is Stellar Wind. As Wired says, there is no doubt that it has transformed itself into the largest, most covert, and potentially most intrusive intelligence agency ever created. It goes on to say that one of the whistleblowers that actually left NSA because of the violation of NSA and the U.S. government against the Constitution, held his thumb and his forefinger close together, and he said, we are that far from a a turnkey totalitarian state. And I don't know what that says to you, but it says to me that privacy is a thing of the past, that everything you say on the telephone is now recorded by the federal government, Every email you send is permanently stored by the federal government. It is looking more and more 
like what the Bible describes in a cashless society where you are constantly under surveillance. And finally, the mark of the beast is given. All of the technology is there. Everything to create a total total to a ta- now I can't pronounce the word <laughs> totalitarian government. Everything is set up. We still have what appears to be a democratic republic. But if you recall the history when Hitler began to take the lead role in Germany, one of the things he wanted to ensure was that every action he wanted to take would have to be according to the law. And so he put in place the laws necessary to regulate and to allow him to accomplish the Holocaust and to accomplish every other kind of wicked thing. Did you know that all of those same laws are now in place in America? that President Obama or any United States president now by law can indefinitely detain any American citizen without granting them the right of an attorney, indefinitely hold them with no charges placed against them. He even has established for himself through the Congress laws that allow him to assassinate any American citizen that he chooses to assassinate. Now we say, well, he's just going to be using this against terrorists. Tell the Japanese that, who were put in internment camps. Hitler would have loved the technological network prison that is now in place around America. I have no doubt in my mind that A president will come. I'm not saying our current president. I'm saying a president will come. False flags will be used. And other things will be used to justify, perhaps against the Muslims, or perhaps against the Jews, or perhaps against evangelical Christians men and women who say they have been born again and they have their loyalty first to the Lord Jesus and not to the government. If you were to ask me today, are you loyal to America? I would say, absolutely, I am loyal to America and to our government. I love America. But I have a prior loyalty, and that loyalty is to Jesus Christ. My prior loyalty is to the Word of God. That's where my primary loyalty rests. I believe that certain rights were given to us, the right of free speech, the right of assemblage. There are certain rights that are granted not by the government, but they're granted by God. And the government does not have the right, regardless of what laws they establish, because they yet are responsible to the Lord God of heaven. I want to remind you that the heroes of America were the Minutemen. Do you know who led the Minutemen? A Baptist pastor. 
Do you know who the men carrying the weapons were? They were his elders. They were the men of his church. There was a time in America when absolute loyalty was given to the Lord God of heaven. And that loyalty is what caused them to rebel against the intrusion of the British in America. I pray the day does not come when godly men must rise up and say to this government, you have no right to mandate contraceptives. You have no right to mandate abortions. You have no right to say we are not free to speak as we choose. And you are certainly having no right to block the assemblage of American citizens. I fear the day is coming when the intrusion of the federal government will be cause for great civil strife in America, even civil war. I pray that day never comes. I pray that a revival can come to America in righteousness and that men and women will turn back to the way of God. But I don't look to politics to make that change. I look to godly preachers. I look to godly people. I look to people of goodwill, people who have moral values. I want to talk about those moral values today. I want to talk about what it means for me as an individual to become free and remain free. So I welcome you today. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Our phone number here in the studio is 877-534-0780. We are live, and you're welcome to join me. You know, I've been, I've been considering this issue of individual righteousness. And I recognize that many people are caught in the iron chains of pride. And they consider service to another to be beneath them. Many are consumers, not givers. In their pride, they believe that they are entitled to the best. They're full of complaints and bitterness. They're unwilling to humble their hearts. They're unwilling to serve. I had dinner last night in one of the most wonderful restaurants I can imagine. It's the Bistro Le Hermitage in Woodbridge, Virginia. The reason I so enjoyed the dinner was not the white tablecloths and the roses on the table the silver and the china, that was all great. The reason I loved it so much was not because of the filet that I enjoyed with the asparagus steamed just right or the wonderful mashed potatoes. That's all a treat, and I treasure it. But that's not really why I was there. I was there because Joseph, the owner, and their staff 
Latvi, Russian, and others. They have an attitude that as soon as you enter into this restaurant, you see a profound difference from almost any other restaurant you've ever been in. It's family. They're there to serve. Unashamedly, they are there to do whatever they can to make you feel welcome. After all, it is the hospitality industry. But these people take hospitality far beyond what you could ever imagine. And it's interesting, I go to this restaurant quite often, and seldom do I go to this restaurant without several people either coming to my table or waving me to their table, because everyone knows that this is a safe place. It's a wonderful place. Well, what makes it so wonderful is that the owner Uh, Joseph has this huge heart that says, I love people. Not only do I love people, but I want to serve people. And so you're greeted with hugs. You're greeted with a warm handshake. You're shown to your table. And constantly through the evening goes the flow of friendship. I can't tell you how many times after I lost my wife when she died of cancer now almost two years ago, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to that restaurant and sat and had my heart ministered to, been encouraged, and left with a cheerful face because of the service rendered. You see, I've watched as some waiters and waitresses have come to this restaurant as new employees, and they've been told everything about this is a family place, this is a place where we love people, this is a place where we encourage people, this is a place where we're family. And then I've watched them as they've been unable to fit into that picture. And why? Well, because they only want to work the shifts that has the largest crowd because they're there to just make money. The Bible calls these kinds of people hirelings. They're not people who are willing to serve. They want to be served. You sit down at their table, and the next time you come, they don't recognize you because they never looked at you as a person They never spoke to you as a person. They're just there to do their job and get their money and get out as quickly as they can get out. Well, needless to say, at Le Hermitage, those kind of waiters don't last very long. I can sit at the table and have a waiter come to the table, and within a few minutes I can tell you whether they'll last the week out or the month out because they simply don't have a heart to serve. They're in chains of bondage. And I'm grateful that they don't survive there because they would totally change the whole atmosphere. I invite you to come try it for yourself. And when you come, check with the maitre d' and find out if I'm there. I would love to meet you. I'm going to give you the name of the restaurant again. It's the Bistro at Le Hermitage. It's a French country restaurant. And it's located at 
12724 Occoquan Road in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'll give you the phone number, too. 703-499-9550. One more time. 703-499-9550. I would urge you to come simply to experience what every church should be like what our lives should be like as we render service one to another. And by the way, they don't even know I'm doing this on the air. Uh, They don't have a clue, and they don't need to know. They're not paying me for sponsorship on this broadcast. Jesus sponsors this broadcast. But I have to talk about this issue because it is so unusual This is what I want to read to you about today from Pilgrim's Progress. This was really just the introduction to share with you the part of the story today that the Lord has asked me to give you. And again, today I'm reading uh, from Pilgrim's Progress, from this world to that which is to come by C.J. Lovick. He's the editor, and I'm using this material by permission of Crossway, a publishing ministry of good news publishers out of Wheaton, Illinois. I'm very grateful that they gave me permission to read this copyright material on the air. Of course, John Bunyan's book is not copyrighted, but it was published in 1678. So if I read his actual writing to you, if I could read it, you would not understand it because it is old, old English. Uh, But this is an edition that is a wonderful, wonderful edition. Again, published in 2009. And by the way, if you go to nationalprayerchapel.com, we're streaming live. And if you look on the right-hand side, you'll see a little box. If you click on that box, it'll take you to amazon.com where you can order a copy of Pilgrim's Progress for yourself. And you're welcome then to read along with me as I share it with you. I'm going to begin today on page 53. Just a a bit of background. The interpreter, whom we know as the Holy Spirit, has been sharing seven pictures that he's telling Christian that he must hold in his mind, that he must remember as he makes this journey from the city of destruction through the gate, the narrow gate, and on into the celestial city. He's saying that these stories will remind him of truths that he will need to know if he's to make this journey successfully. Let me begin reading on page 53. No, said the interpreter, stay until I've shown you a little more, and after that you can go on your way. So he took Christian by the hand and led him into a very dark room where a man sat in an iron cage. The man in the cage seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down to the ground, his hands folded together, and he sighed as if his heart would break. Then Christian asked, What does this mean? 
Instead of answering, the interpreter asked Christian to talk with the man, and so Christian asked the man, Who are you? The man answered, I'm not what I used to be. Who did you used to be? The man said, I was once fair and flourishing in my profession of faith, both in my own eyes and also in the eyes of others. I was... I once thought... I once thought I was deserving of the celestial city, and my heart was full of joy as I considered going there. Well, who are you now? I'm now a man of despair, and it surrounds me as does this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, now I cannot get out. But how did you come to be in this condition? I stopped being watchful and diligent. I rushed after my own lust. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have grieved the Spirit, and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he has come to me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. Then Christian asked the interpreter, Is there no hope for such a man as this? Ask him, said the interpreter. So Christian asked the man, Is there no hope? Must you be kept in the iron cage of despair? No hope. None at all, replied the man in the iron cage. But consider this. God, the Son, he is blessed and full of pity. The man protested. I have crucified him to myself afresh. I have despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. I have counted his blood an unholy thing. I have insulted the Spirit of grace. Therefore I have shut myself out of all of the promises, and there now remains to me nothing but threatening, dreadful, threatenings, fearful threatenings of certain judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour me as an adversary. How did you, how did you bring yourself into this condition? I promised myself much delight from the lusts and pleasures and the profits of this world. But now every one of those things wounds me and gnaws at me like a burning worm. But can't you even now repent and turn away from those things, Christian asked, hopefully. God has denied me repentance, the man said. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. He himself has shut me up in this iron cage 
and all the men in the world do not have the power to let me out. O eternity, eternity, how will I deal with the misery that waits for me in eternity? I want to weep as I read this. A man bound in chains. It reminds me of a of a dear man that I love. He listened to this broadcast and he came to the National Prayer Chapel and he began to do an honest work of repentance. He would at times lay on the floor and weep before God. His heart was breaking. But I noticed that as time passed, there seemed to be a hardening in his heart. He was willing to condemn himself, but he was not willing to reach out and accept the grace of Jesus Christ. He was making an iron cage of his sin. Finally, at some point, I confronted him. And I said to him, Why do you come and weep so, and then reject the grace of Jesus Christ? And he began to weep. And he said, Pastor, I just got back from a business trip. And I hired a prostitute while I was out of town. I said, That was utter wickedness. You're a married man. That's foolish. Why would you do that? Because my heart was filled with lust. I said, wait a minute. You're married. Why would your heart be so filled with lust? Because I'm also always and constantly on the Internet watching pornography. I can't stand to not have that sexual excitement in my life. I said, dear brother, There is no sin that you can commit, save that against the Holy Spirit, that God will not forgive you for. And these bondages that hold you so tightly in their iron grip, the blood of Jesus can break that bondage from your life, and you can go free. And he said to me, I'm not sure God has not turned his back on me. I said, Brother, you would not be here in church weeping before God if God had turned his back on you. There is still conviction of sin in your heart, is there not? Yes, there is conviction of sin in my heart, but I am not a free man. I cannot break the bondages of this sin. I said, Oh, wait a minute. Are you thinking that you in your power must deny these sins 
and walk away from them before God will receive you into his presence. Yes. I said, no, no, a thousand times no. We come to Jesus just the way we are. We come with all of our lust, our prostitutes, our pornography, our bitterness, our pride, our anger. We come to God just like we are. We can never wash ourselves up. We can never make ourselves clean. You come to Jesus. It's only the blood of Jesus that washes you. It's only the blood of Jesus that breaks the bondage. Brother, all you need to do is renounce your sin. Tell Jesus how much you love your lust and how much you love your sin. And then ask Jesus to make you hate it with a bitter hatred. And ask him to cut it off from your life. Ask him to remove it from your soul. And he will remove it. He said, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I said, why not? Because God has left me. I said, no, God has not left you. You have left God. There's a big difference between God leaving you and you leaving God. Never will there be peace in your soul until you leave your sin. That sin will constantly form stronger and stronger chains of bondage around your life. It will destroy your marriage. It will steal your peace. And you will be a prisoner in your life. It was just a short time after this that this dear man stopped his attendance at the National Prayer Chapel. I continue to call him. I continue to pray for him. But until he is willing to lay down the idol of his sin, the blood of Jesus will not set him free. I'm concerned today about whether or not you're in the bondage of sin. Part of what happens is that the modern teaching of the church is that we can sin and still be saved. And so men and women who call themselves Christians are still welcome to come in and have full fellowship in the body of Christ. I know of one large megachurch in Maryland where their associate pastor, by his own confession, is a complete addict to pornography. He's a married man. He has children. But every day he's in the computer on that pornography. But for him it's not a problem because God knows his weakness, and God loves him, and he's saved, and he's on his way to heaven. It reminds me of another story that John Bunyan gives in a later book called Christiana, where Christian's wife and children follow him to the celestial city. And on this occasion, Christiana also comes to the interpreter, 
and the interpreter shows her the picture of a beautiful robin. And suddenly she sees this robin going about picking up big spiders and eating them. And she turns to the interpreter and she says, Please, sir, I don't understand. What is this about? And he said, The red-breasted robin is a beautiful bird. It has a melodious song. But most markedly, it loves to be around the household of people. It likes to nest close to homes. It likes to be in the yards of people. It likes to be around us. But you notice that it doesn't eat breadcrumbs. It doesn't eat pleasant food. Instead, it goes about finding spiders and eating them. And the interpreter said, the spiders represent wickedness. The spiders represent sin. He said, you will find many on this journey who are like the red-breasted robin. They like to be around Christian. They like to be around people who are on the journey. But then they go about taking all the sin they can. One man that I confronted with the gospel, in fact, it was on another broadcast, and he called and talked with me on the air. And he told me that he loves to go to church. He loves the fellowship of God's people. He considers himself a Christian. He loves to hear the preaching, and and he loves to to hear the wonderful music, it encourages and lifts his soul, it inspires him. But then I said, do you walk holy during the week? Or do you go to the clubs? Are you a party man? He said, oh, of course. He said, with quite some amount of pride, I know how to hang with the church. And I know how to hang with the world. I'm comfortable in both places. He said, to be a well-balanced person, you have to be comfortable in every situation. Does that puzzle you? It was very clear. John Bunyan was a Reformed Baptist by theology. But in Christiana... In the story of Christiana, he makes the statement that like a boat that has one leak, that one leak will sink the boat. He said, likewise, one sin will keep a man from going to heaven. One willful Rebellion that is consistent will keep you from the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying that as an Armenian. This is what John Bunyan was saying 
as a Reformed Baptist. You recognize there's quite a difference between much Reformed theology today and what was Reformed in the past. If you've ever read, as I have, John Calvin's lengthy Institutes, you would quickly recognize that John Calvin many times said you cannot separate justification and sanctification. They are woven together. In other words, when a man comes to Jesus Christ, the bondages of sin are broken from that man's life. He is set free. He is no longer in bondage. And he walks clean before God. Pastor David Wilkerson, who has now gone ahead to his reward, used to say to me, I would ask him, do you believe in eternal security, Brother David? And he would say, I believe in the eternal security of the eternally faithful. I'm in full agreement. I believe in eternal security for the eternally faithful. And by the power of the blood of Jesus, we can be kept eternally faithful. Now, I'm not speaking here about the occasional sin that a person commits. It's wrong. It should be the occasional and not the constant. But the promise in 1 John is that we have an advocate with the Father, that we will be forgiven for that sin and we will be washed, we will be purified of all uncleanness. And so you recognize that any bondage in our life and the bondage of this man who is held so firmly in the iron cage is an iron cage of his own making. He could leave that iron cage if he, like blind Bartimaeus, would begin to forget about everybody but Jesus and would begin to cry out with a loud voice. The Lord would say, bring that person to me. The bars of the cage would be broken. And the Lord would ask you, what do you want? And you would say, I want to see again. And Jesus would say, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And don't sin anymore. Remember what he said to the woman caught in adultery? He said, does anyone condemn you? No, sir. Well, then go and and don't sin anymore. That was the expectation of Jesus. So today, how is it in your life? Are you sitting in an iron cage? Perhaps you've made it a comfortable iron cage. Maybe you've brought in a bed and a a little kitchenette. Maybe you've made your little hidey cave comfortable. Maybe you have a television there. Still an iron cage. 
When a person is filled with pride and arrogance, they're in an iron cage. When a person has no desire to serve another, they're in an iron cage. You recognize that a lack of servanthood in our hearts breaks relationships with those we desire to be close to. In a marriage, it is for the man to serve his wife, and it is for the wife to serve her husband, and it is for the two of them to serve the great God of heaven. Everything about life hangs or falls on our willingness to humble our hearts and offer service to another. That's why we're here. Not to get what we want, not to use other people, not to be predators. Are you a predator? Are you using people to get what you want? Are you using women or men? Are you using money? Are you about your own life, and are you caught in bondage? If you're comfortable in your bondage, I'll begin to pray for you that God will discomfort you, that he'll begin to turn the heat up under you, that you can no longer stand to be in your sin. But today, if you're discomforted by your sin, and you desire something much greater and much more than your sin, if you desire peace and joy to be in your heart, if you desire to be free to serve, to forget about yourself and to concentrate on others, to forget about yourself and concentrate on Jesus, then if you'll ask the Lord, he will do that in your life. Again, I want to say to you, there is absolutely nothing that you can do in the way of sin that cannot be forgiven by Jesus' precious blood shed on Calvary. Don't imagine that you can atone for your own sins. Don't imagine that you can do enough good deeds to make up for what you have done. If you're honest, by your own confession, you know what you have done in the past. And you know, like I know, that there are things that I've done in my past that I am desperately ashamed of. And frankly, I can never make that up to anyone. For the sin was against the God of heaven. It is only by blood that a covenant can be cleansed. It is only by blood that sin can be forgiven. And again, you don't need a prophet. You don't need a wise man. Quite frankly, you don't even need a pastor. You need a savior. You need someone who was willing to shed his blood for you, and that is what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. But he did not remain in the grave. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and he now stands at the right hand of the Father in glory. 
and you too can now be released from the tomb of your own bondage so that your life can mean something, so that your life can accomplish something, not for you but for others. So let me give you our phone number, 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call. I'm here live in studio. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I see things happening in America that terrify me. I see that America is beginning to crash, and we will burn. God's judgments will be poured out on this nation. The only way I know to do something about that problem is not to go vote for someone, even though I will do that. The only way that I know America can be turned from its path of destruction is to once more establish the God of heaven as ruler over our lives and for men and women to be released from the bondage of their care, of their wickedness, of their sin, to be washed and made clean. Today, do you need to be washed and made clean? I'd love to have somebody call and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you pray the blood of Jesus over me that I could be washed and made clean, that I could be forgiven for my sin? 877-534-0780. I know it takes getting over pride, and there has to be a sufficient level of fire and need and discomfort in our hearts before you would ever call a radio station and talk with someone you don't know yet. I pray that as you listen day by day, you're becoming acquainted, though, with who I am and what my purpose is as I lift up Jesus Christ in this wicked city that we live in. So our number is 877-534-0780. We have just a few minutes left. Let me share one last message from the interpreter. He took Christian by the hand and led him into a chamber where there was a man getting out of bed. And as he dressed himself, he shook and trembled. Then Christian asked, Why does this man tremble? The interpreter then called the man over and told him, Tell Christian the reason for his trembling. This is what the man told Christian. This night, as I was in my sleep, I dreamed and witnessed the heavens growing pitch black. I also heard and saw the most terrible thunder and lightning. So I looked up in my dream and saw the clouds beginning to roll in at an unusual rate of speed. Then I heard the great sound of a trumpet and saw a man sitting upon a great cloud attended by thousands from heaven. They were all clothed in flaming fire, and the heavens were as burning flames. I then heard a voice saying, Arise, you who are dead, and come to judgment. With that the rocks split, the graves opened, and the dead who were in them came out. Some of them were extremely glad and 
and looked upward. Some tried to hide themselves under the mountain for fear. Then I saw the man who sat upon the cloud open a book and bid the world come near. A fierce flame spewed out from before him, creating a barrier between him and the world of men, like the barrier between a judge and the prisoners of the bar. I heard the man who sat on the cloud proclaim to the heavenly host who attended him, Gather together the tares, the chaff, the stubble. Cast them into the burning lake. And immediately the bottomless pit opened just where I stood, and out of the mouth of that pit came smoke and the coals of fire, accomplished by the hideous noise. Then I heard the man who sat on the clouds proclaim to the heavenly host, Gather my wheat into my barn. And with that I saw many people caught up and carried away in the clouds. But I was left behind. I tried to hide myself, but I could not. For the man who sat upon the cloud kept his eyes upon me. My sins also came into my mind, and my conscience accused me without mercy. And then I awoke from my sleep. Almighty God, I cry out today for men and women who are caught in the bondages of sin, for men and women who refuse to serve another, for men and women filled with pride and arrogance, men and women who have no hope, who sit in iron cages. Lord, I pray today for their deliverance. I pray that you will open their mouths and their hearts, that they would cry out to you, O Lord, and say, I repent. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the name of Jesus, amen. I bless you in the name of Jesus. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.